0: Before we begin tonight, I wanted to mention again the uh, challenge, the grace challenge for July with the blessing baskets, uh, crates, and the blessing backpacks. Uh, several of those were taken, and there was one thing that I did forget to mention, and it's a big one. Uh, that is, as prayer pals engage in that project, uh, I hope that they will take time to pray for the teacher in whose hands those will go. Uh, t- teachers have certainly a big job and certainly in today's world and so we we would covet your prayers of course we do that on back to school Sunday uh, but I think it's a good time for prayer pals to get together not only to pray for the teacher uh, but to pray for your student <clears throat> as he or she goes into the school year here in another uh, couple of months or so sorry to remind you of such a, a true fact Um, But in any case, please make that a a focal point to pray after you've done the the shopping. And thank you to those of you who have taken backpacks and crates. Uh, If you weren't here this morning and you don't know what that's all about, uh, you can check this morning's sermon, I guess. Uh, We'll fully explain it. And if you did hear what it was about, but you forgot to grab one, I think there are just a few crates and backpacks left. So be sure to... Get one of those and then use the next six weeks to arrange something with your prayer pal and pray for them and pray for the teachers in the upcoming year. Tonight we will be studying a story that is in the middle of the Bible or pretty close to it. Uh, and yet when it, this story occurs is likely, if it was written chronologically, would probably be somewhere toward the beginning of the Bible. I think it's interesting that it's at the middle. Uh, Because the issues and the the key issue of suffering for righteous people is the uh, probably at the heart of almost every atheist and agnostic. uh, One of the first arguments that they'll bring to the surface is, if your God that you serve is so loving, why do bad things happen to you, to other followers? Why do we live in a world where children who are innocent get cancer? Well, hard questions. Not easy. Uh, a pithy answer won't do. Cliches don't hold much weight. But I believe this story is in there for a reason, and we're going to look at it tonight in the book of Job. We will not be able to get to the entirety of the story. Uh, we could do that, but um, youth group and parents and uh, all of you would be very angry with me and all of that. So we're just going to be in chapter 1 tonight, but a couple of things about this book before we get started. I said that it was probably written more toward the beginning of the story in the patriarchal age rather than in the mosaical age. And why do I say that? Well, there's a few clues in there if you read through the text, and probably a Sunday night crowd has read through the book of Job and is familiar with the story. First, we know that Job lived a very long time, which was uh, one factor that often weighed in the patriarchal age, those who lived often lived uh, well past the century mark. Uh, second is uh, Job, when it, we, we talk about his wealth and his prestige, it, that wealth was measured in uh, animals and in property, not necessarily in silver and gold, uh, which was more uh, appropriate toward the patriarchal time. The third is that as we read, we'll read a little bit of tonight, Job seems to taken on a priestly function within his family, performing some religious acts on behalf of his family. And that was a key part of the patriarchal age. Fourth is the absolute silence, no mention of Abraham, Israel, the exodus, or the law. And the fifth is the mention of the knowledge of of the understanding of Adam and the knowledge of the flood. So we can presume that those that creation had happened and that, that the flood had happened. But somewhere along in here comes the story of a man who was blessed by God, at least so it seemed at first. And yet throughout the story, he seems less and less blessed by God. So it seems and we're going to look at that tonight. When we're introduced to Job, the man, in Job chapter 1, a couple things jump out. Uh, first, he is spiritually in connection with God. He has a relationship with God, but it's more than just having a relationship for himself. He, he intercedes on behalf of his family. And so he has a not just a personal relationship, but he has a, a spiritual maturity we might say he's the father, the head of the household of a rather large family. He is wealthy, uh, for sure, when we go through and look at the the wealth that he had and that wealth, whether it was that wealth or maybe just even beyond that, uh, he was a very influential man, not just in of his own people, but uh, all around the world of that time. And he is a giving and generous man. So a few things that we point out, not just about the story, but about Job's characters, a character as we look at how God presents to us and weighs in on the difficult theological issue of why a good God lets bad things happen and lets suffering happen. Um, and it also finally gives us insight into the larger spiritual battle That's happening in the heavenly realms. There are things happening in the spiritual world. That you and I are largely unaware of. And we're reminded again in Ephesians. uh, That that, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. uh, But against the rulers. Against the powers. Against the authorities. Against the principalities of this dark world. There is a battle going on. And throughout this story. Job, righteous though he was, blessed as he was, was just as unaware of it as I would say that you and I are. And We're aware of it in the sense that we know it exists, but the details, the day-to-day, the seeing sin and temptation and, and, and all of the things that we view from our perspective take on a whole new meaning when we begin to understand that there's a spiritual battle and we're in the crosshairs. That, that both sides are fighting for our, us. So let's pause tonight and consider God's servant, Job. If you're in Job chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 7. It will be our key text tonight. <clears throat> one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with him. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does uh, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You bless the work of his hands, so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. Now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God has fallen from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I, noticing the theme here, am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters. They were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept him from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them. They are dead. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up And tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked, I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this... Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. The first thing of course we notice about Job is that Job did everything right. You ever know one of those people? And not maybe in the Jobian sense, but you just know those people that they they just is the 4.0 student. They they were whatever Sport they were in, they were the star. Uh, the teachers loved them, they were the most popular uh, uh, in every respect. Uh, they go on to college, uh, they get a degree, they, they, they do very well, they go into business for themselves, they're very successful, and they just seemingly do not ever have anything go wrong. Job was right in the in the better sense. He he never made a mistake in the godly sense. God said of himself uh, of, of not of himself of Job, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, presumably, Job never heard this confession of God, of himself, of Job. But can you imagine what an honor it would be to be described in such a way? There is no one on earth like him. He always does what's right. He's just asking, you know, I've given these human beings free will and certainly some of them have abused it and broken my heart and sinned and done what you've wanted But you haven't stopped to consider my servant Job, have you? He always does what's right. I I think that's a wonderful example that we should aspire to. To to, to live to please the Lord. And and that, that our praising, if you will, might come from his lips. Jesus said on Judgment Day... There's going to be two groups of people, the sheep and the goats. And and to one group, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we're reminded this morning that, that Jesus knows our name. Beyond knowing your name, he knows you. My question is, would he speak of you as he speaks of Job? That's quite a commendation. He had integrity. Um, I talked about this before. Integrity, the root word of that, integer, meaning one. Uh, his integrity allowed him to be consistent, whether he was influencing people in business, uh, leading his household with his wife. He was the same man throughout. He had integrity. There was a, a, a great deal about him that never changed His faith remained consistent despite his circumstances. Uh, You know some people that they are, man, God is good. God is good when things are going good for them. You know, when they get the raise and get the promotion and their kids are being successful, man, God is good. I'm I'm not blaming these people, I'm just saying... Job was the one who said God is good, even when he lost everything. That's integrity. His praise of God did not depend on him, uh, his position. Job was wealthy. Verses 1 through 3 says this, which is, we, we did not read this part, so if you're following along you want to go back to 1 through 3. The man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Uh, He was known for his success, and as human beings are prone to do, when we see someone who's successful... We, we naturally want to, or if we're wise, we naturally want to seek out that person for wisdom. Because we assume if they've been doing things a certain way, then if we listen to them and talk to them and, and learn what they're doing, how they might do it, we might have the same success. And that's not that's okay to do. That certainly happened in Joseph's story and other people. So wealth or success, the blessings, <clears throat> those are from God. There's nothing wrong with those at all. Just don't let them become a replacement for God. We understand that. Matthew 6 24, not a verse on Job, but just speaking a little bit about success here. Jesus said, You cannot serve both God and money. Uh, this does not say you cannot have both God and money. Many people of faith have had a tremendous amount of wealth. Abraham, Job, Joseph, uh, lots of people of faith, have had stuff and the stuff, money and the stuff that money buys. Nothing wrong with that. Just don't let it have you. All the people, including Job, who were successful and blessed by the Lord, knew that that was just stuff. It It was just earthly goods. But what mattered to them more than anything was their connection with the Lord. Fine to have those things, just don't let those things have you. Finally, Job was respected. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. And quite a reputation. Um, Probably we're thinking that the peoples of the East refer to all the areas east of Palestine. And so Job's influence was wide and well-known, not just among the local folks. Solomon, you'll remember, had sort of a similar reputation. His wisdom surpassed all the wisdom of the East. So people, people knew Solomon. People understood his wisdom and the influence, the blessings that he had. Job was the same way, except he existed quite a ways before Solomon. So God's favor was shown in the blessings. Job did everything right. Job did everything right, and he was blessed by God. Now, we can get dangerously close to prosperity theology here. Uh, you hear this from a lot of televangelists. If you'll just do enough rhyming, this is the, the Joel Osteen kind of thinking, your best life now. Okay? Job had a connection with God, and he had the blessings of God. He, he knew which one was of greater value, his connection with the Lord. And so certainly having the stuff, having the sheep and the cattle and the, and the goats, the influence, the, all of that was great. But even if he lost all that, uh, he still had what, what mattered most. Does that make sense? This is how Job always did what was right because he, th- he kept things in the right order. <clears throat> it's one thing to do right when you are blessed, but Job remained consistent. He praised God even when he lost everything, he he did everything right. Even when he had nothing left, he did everything right. See, some people would, would get into Job's position, having lost property, having lost servants, having lost you know his whole enterprise of the day, he, having lost his own children, and, and as we don't get into tonight, but as his wife would assume, hey, what's the point? Job's wife said, I mean, curse God and die. I mean, if if serving him leads to nothing better than all this, then why serve him at all? She, She got things in the wrong order. She connected these two things. And Job understood there was a difference. He did everything right, not just when everything was going right. He did everything right even when he had nothing left. And that's a harder challenge to live up to. To still serve the Lord and to do what's right, even when you lose your job. To still serve the Lord and do what's right, even when you have a lump in your breast. This is to still serve the Lord and do what's right, even when your kids are just, they're, they're just going off in the way of the, the prodigals we talked about this morning. To still serve the Lord and do what's right, even when you have health conditions that are insurmountable. That's the challenge of Job. To serve God, not just when you have everything, but even, maybe especially, when you have nothing. It's important to understand that in the heavenly battle, in the spiritual battle going on in the heavens, that God, at least in Job's story, takes time to point out and regard his strongest and best fighters. 1 Peter five eight. <clears throat> Tells us later the Apostle Peter says that we are in this spiritual battle, and he speaks of our ancient foe. First Peter five, eight, be alert and of sober mind. Pay attention. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. When, when God gives regard to some of his strongest soldiers, you can assure, be assured that the enemy will go after his strongest fighters. Maybe we view suffering with the, the understanding It's not God doing something. It's our ancient foe doing something. That he wants you to give up like he wanted Job to give up. He, He wanted you to throw in the towel like he hoped Job would. Like he got Judas to do. The question is, how hard does he have to squeeze? Where's your pressure point? What'll get you? What will make you turn? What will make you question? What will make you doubt? Satan assumed that God's people are only God's people because of God's blessings. You know, you got the hedge of protection, right? This is where that phrase comes from. You put a hedge around him. I can't touch him. How, how, How in the world is this even a fair fight? You put this protective hedge around him. You give him everything. You bless him. Why on Earth wouldn't he take the hedge away? Let me at him. Let me at him. Let me have his property. Let me take the stock market and send it down to zero. Let me see how much faith is in you or in his nest egg. Let me attack his health. Let me see how much he really loves you. Let me attack his children. Sometimes you know we set up our children as our idols, and we go after them it 's a spiritual battle and and we got to keep that in mind the, the The spiritual battle is the same the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life the spiritual the, the, the battle plan is the same, and it 's been applied toward adam and eve It, it was applied toward job. It'll be applied toward you. It was applied toward Jesus. It's the same pressure points. Matthew 5. I'm sorry. Matthew 4 verse 8. The temptation of Jesus. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. This is the son of God. He made the mountain. Didn't just make the mountain. Spoke the mountain. He takes him up to this mountain. He shows him All the kingdoms of the world. I don't know. This never makes sense to me. How in the world did he think this would tempt Jesus? It's like me taking Bill Gates and saying, hey, I've got $20. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I'll give you all these kingdoms. Hey, here's a clue. I already have those kingdoms. The devil showed him a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you if you will bow down and worship me. Let me have him. Let me have him. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan mocks. He mocks God. He mocks us. He 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 would be. Your best. Would he be your best fighter if you didn't give him your best? Would he be your best, God? Would Job be your one of the people you point out if you didn't give him all of that stuff and all those blessings? And God shows his confidence that Job's faith is genuine. This is beautiful. Test him. Test the integrity of it. Test him. Go after him. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? It sort of puts a different view on on suffering. Is you might, as the early Christians did in the first century, be able to count worthy of suffering for the name. Anyway, well, suffering, you're thinking of, you know, a bunch of law enforcement coming in, pointing guns and us saying, You stop worshiping the Lord. Well, that might happen. But maybe Satan doesn't have to be so out about it. Maybe he just needs to make the value of your stuff drop a little bit. Maybe he just needs to make prices go up a little bit. Maybe he just needs to put a little pinch on you, a little squeeze on your stuff and on your people that surround you and your kids. Prove God right. When you're in the midst of the battle, whatever it might be and however you might suffer, think, think maybe, maybe, I don't speak for God here, perhaps he's somewhere in the heavenly realm set. Go after him. Go after her. Consider my servant. It's not God punishing you, it's God's confidence your faith is sincere and genuine, at least in Job's case. So Satan applies three tests. We're only going to cover once. First, he, he he takes all he has, all the wealth, the property, 500 yoke of oxen, kills the servants, lightning, kills 7,000 sheep, and more raiders, take 3,000 camels. This is a bad day, okay? Um, in my lifetime, that was probably, uh I don't know, 2,008 in the market, you know? Things just like, ah, what was me? Although it was much, much worse. He'll eventually lose his entire family, his sons and his daughters. And then Satan will use his friends that surround him in his suffering. And what is God's measure of grace? That's what this whole series is about on Sunday nights God's amazing grace. Where is this shown in the story of Job? I say it's shown very simply in the question that he asked Satan: "Have you considered my servant Job?" He trusts me no matter what. He loves me even when he doesn't have anything left. He does what's right, even when everyone else has left him. That's, that's wonderful, Grace. I'm not sure that I'll ask you that you would hope to suffer. But there is a significant difference in the church of today and the church of the first century. And there are lots of differences, but here's one of them. We tend to gradually seek safety and comfort and security from God. And the first century church, when they suffered, when they were persecuted, they praised God. They were were just thrilled. Because they understood Job's story. They understood other stories. That when they suffered, it wasn't God punishing them. It was God having confidence that they would be strong enough to withstand. May we have that view. Please, please don't hear me from a condescending tone. Because I know I speak to people who have suffered things. Hard things that I haven't faced and don't want to imagine facing. I just present to you tonight... The opportunity to change your perspective when you lose a great deal. In spite of all this, Job would still praise God. He lost it all. The hardest, the hardest one of that for me is losing your, your sons and your daughters. And he had a big family. And he lost them all like that. I mean, no time to say goodbye, no time for farewells. That was a hard loss. That was a hard day. When he shaved his head and he tore his robe, we don't understand that. In the patriarchal age, that was the deepest form of mourning one could show. I mean, he had ten heartbreaks that day. Satan said, let me at him. He got pretty close on that one. If you lost a child or lost more than one, you understand. He mourned. Um, as as those of patriarchal age specifically, we know that Jacob mourned in this way. That he, tore, that he shaved his head and he tore his robe. And yet he worshipped. He worshipped. In his deepest of grief. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He praised Almighty God when he lost it all. And if you would have been in a position, and probably few of us have had a position as near as what Job had, but if you've been anything close to it, you understand how much more meaningful and deep and rich your prayer life, and your personal devotion, and your worship becomes. It is drawing near to the only one you have left. Job realized that all he had was in God's hands, and he remained faithful in spite of the loss. He trusted God's judgment without understanding God's judgment. That's faith. To be able to Trust God without understanding God. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I know a lot of approach to the word is just to reason it out, to think it through, to logically do it. And that's fine. I'm not against using your brain. But just got to understand, sometimes things are going to happen in life that, doesn't make sense up here. Does not connect up here. It's beyond your own understanding. Job couldn't reason through this. Neither could his friends. And that's what Satan wanted. He wanted them to get to a point where they didn't understand, and their faith became in their understanding of what God was doing. And we, as people of faith, have got to get past that. That's why it's called faith, because there's a point at which we don't get to understand. As far as we're told in the entire story, we don't know that Job ever got a full explanation of what God was doing and what was happening in the heavenly realms. I'm not sure that we ever get a full, that Job certainly ever got a full answer. The answer from God, the answer from... Where were you when I laid out the foundations of the universe? Where were you when I marked it off? Surely you know. Answer me. And God answered him out of the storm in such a way that God's response was to repent. Because he understood he had questioned the almighty God. May we not put our own understanding and our own reason on an idol either. He praised the name of the Lord. Hebrews twelve twenty eight says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When you put that verse... Over the story of Job, for me it makes it a little clearer. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I don't know what you've lost or what you've suffered or what you've the the the, the, the sufferings that you've been through on your journey with God. But may you not forget that you're receiving, if you're in Jesus Christ, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that the suffering, whatever it might be, is just for a little while. And in the breadth of eternity, and you're worried about how the market worked in this quarter, or about how your health was this year, you got to have a greater perspective and remember that you are a kingdom people. So, God has been exactly right about Job. Have you considered my servant Job? Yeah. So far, God's been exactly right. Paul said in Romans 8, Verse 18. And Paul knew a thing or two about suffering. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I mean, just a tenth of a millisecond in eternity will change, will turn your perspective on a dime. If you go through your entire life with poor health, if you live in abject poverty and, and you, have to, you have to go around and, and crawl on your hands and knees and, and, and dig up worms to eat and just live on just a few teaspoons of water and that's the way your entire life is, But you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Savior. You're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And when you enter into eternity, you'll go, wow. And in that tenth of a millisecond, you will forget everything, everything that you faced in this world. These are light and momentary sufferings. And we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In chapter 2, things are going to get worse as Job will lose his physical health. And uh, that can be understood by some of you in here. And that's a harder thing. You don't appreciate your health until you don't have it anymore. He didn't grasp what God was doing, even in this this chapter 2, which we're not going to get into. But he didn't give up on God. And, and the last part of what we're going to look at tonight, verse 22. In all this, he did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And I really want to make this point. That I hear people say, you know, you can be angry with God. You can lay that at his feet. He can handle it. Well, I have no doubt that he can handle it. But speaking as a preacher, what right have you? You creature of the dirt. What understanding have you? How dare you get angry with God? Did you forget what he's done for you? and The great price he's paid to redeem you. May you repent in sackcloth and ashes. If you ever once had an inkling and iota of anger toward the Lord. Because surely... There are things we do not understand. I know he can handle it, okay? But speaking on behalf of God, through his word, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. He kept his integrity. He didn't get angry at God. He didn't direct, misdirect rather, his emotions and his feeling of unfairness. And this isn't right and this isn't fair toward the one who's given him all grace. And may we be the same. Although we may suffer, few of us will suffer as Job did. May we take this one final takeaway and we'll finish here. May we live for the blessed err. And not the blessing. We all love the first part of the first chapter. Very few of us want the remainder of chapter 1, the rest of chapter 2 and beyond. Job didn't mind that. He didn't understand it, but he didn't mind it. Because his connection was to the blesser, not the blessing. Job was, and hear me now. Job is a blessed man. The entire way through. From the beginning when he had it all, to the rest of the story when he lost it all. But he didn't lose his connection with the Almighty. He didn't charge the only one who had his back with wrongdoing. That's beautiful. It's wonderful. May we have such a faith. And and what made him blessed was not the blessings, it was it was his connection to the blessed Job did not let his externals affect his internals. I ask you tonight, have you let the externals make you question the internals? Have you let the sufferings make you question your Savior? May I call you gently to repent and acknowledge that surely there are things you do not, Understand. 1 Peter 5.10 After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. James 5.10 and 11. Brothers and sisters, as an example, Of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Of course, in Job's story, he got a lot of it back. That's the end of this, the end, the last chapter. But you know what? He never got. He never got a full answer of why it happened in the first place. He had to trust the one who brought him there, and he had to trust the one who led him to it, that he would see him through it. May we have the same type of faith. The Lord is full of compassionate, of compassion and mercy. Job is the Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer. Who intercedes for and saves his stupid friends from the wrath of God. If you do not know the blesser tonight, I want to call you and invite you to follow him tonight. It's the greatest blessing you'll ever experience in this world. Whether you have everything or whether you lose it all, if you know Christ, you have victory and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. If you don't have him, don't wait one minute longer. You can respond tonight to the gospel invitation to believe, to trust, to obey, to be immersed in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you've taken that plunge, taken the first step, but you've wandered because you've suffered and you've struggled, you've lost a little bit of your faith and you'd like us to pray with you and encourage you and pray for you, we'd be glad to do that. If you have a public need tonight, Please come down front. I'll meet you here. As together, we stand and sing.